With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales. Again, wherever in the world you are, and that's one of the great things about the podcast is I don't need to pull you live into Zoom. We can go ahead and make this convenient for whatever time or day uh, you guys are traveling. Um, Today is, is uh, July 14th. Bitcoin, again, has turned into a stable coin at about $20,000. Uh, it sits there, whether it goes up or down, it's, it's been holding uh, that, that steady point. Uh, and I think it's a really good time uh, to have on uh, Corey uh, Klipstein from Swan Bitcoin, who I'm sure has a few minor opinions on, on Bitcoin's performance over the last 90 days, uh, over the last nine years, and potentially over the, the coming years as well. Uh, so really, without me giving massacring any further uh, intro of you, Corey, give us a little bit of your background and, and really kind of that first time you read the white paper and, and what got you you know really interested in this. And, and even if we can go step up a little bit before this, what was the industry you're in prior to uh, you know cryptocurrencies. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me on, Jay, and, and glad to be here, and, and hello to everyone around the world. Uh, glad to be a, a relatively new member of YPO, and, and glad to be serving a lot of my uh, fellow YPOers already uh, through Swan, so it's pretty cool. I got recruited by a, a Swan customer. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. how it all happened. We're like um, the Illuminati. We just we, we recruit. <laughs> Get the get the hooks in, man. Anyway, but no, I'm I'm very much enjoying it, and you know, forum is real. It's good stuff. Um, so yeah, my background was uh, was mostly big companies. I, I actually started out way back in the day in the late '90s as a broadcast journalist. I, I got an undergrad in journalism and and was uh, a really crappy local NBC TV reporter uh, briefly, and doing some Today Show morning news cut-ins and things like that. Uh, I didn't really like getting up early. I didn't really like putting on makeup, and uh, I really did like the internet. And so I started to just kind of shift my my spare time and then sort of my my professional angles toward toward online been online since like 93 and so i interned with microsoft went to work for them on an early interactive television product out in new york uh did a lot of work on the joint venture with nbc so i was making like interactive news versions of nbc news shows and things like that and uh and i just kept on kind of moving more and more toward business i went to uh, morgan stanley and worked in in marketing for uh, their high net worth division went to b school at university of chicago uh did an MBA in finance, entrepreneurship, international business. Went to McKinsey and Company's New York office, did that for a couple of years. Uh, was recruited by media. Turned out they didn't actually have a media practice. It was actually just telecom. And so I, I figured out of the two, doing telecom, you know, in St. Louis and Denver and flying back to New York at 1 a.m. on Thursdays, being tired versus staying in town and doing FIG. I, I tried to just stay in town and do uh, financial institutions work as much as I could. Um, it was a good couple of years. Uh, learned a lot. It was definitely not something I was going to stick it out for a long term. And uh, in the meanwhile, I had uh, I had raised money for a few nightclubs, including one in Chicago where I'd gone to uh, gone to B school, and that had turned into this big adventure. Turned into a five million dollar build out, got the best Latin chef in the world, and was becoming like a restaurant nightclub. And I was like, you know what? I mean, I grabbed a buddy from B school who was a, a, a Georgetown lawyer, and we started a private equity consulting firm. And I went back to Chicago to open up the restaurant. And so that was kind of when I got my first uh, experience of kind of like really networking into a community and, and kind of, you know, rallying troops for something. And, and I think that was a lot of fun and a good experience getting that going. I stayed in consulting all the way through the, uh, the collapse of the global financial system in 08, 09. And that's a, uh, that's a good experience to live. Through. Yeah, it was good. It, it, it did make me start to question, you know, the, the firmity of the ground we were standing on, you know, obviously having gone through the dot-com boom and bust in New York, which is probably like the city second most affected behind uh, the Bay area and, yep. uh, and, and feeling like, I think that was a large in large part why I went to business school and tried to get into more traditional business for a while was because I, I lived through the dot-com boom and bust a bit. Well, I didn't catch much of the boom, mostly bust. <laughs> I started working in early 99. So I caught the very tail end. 
so yeah, looking at the global financial crisis for me, I think was the spark that for me made me want to go into early stage tech. And the first time that I actually chose a job intentionally instead of just, you know, not not being particularly strategic about it and just kind of taking what was next was then I actually deliberately went and sought a job with Google and it was really thinking about Google as being like internet business school and that I could go and I could use that as a way to, you know, network into VCs and founders and really learn the startup game while being in a good perch uh, from Google. Started cutting some angel checks, started advising and got married in late 2012 in Chicago. My wife is uh, from Istanbul and I'm from Seattle and we were like, looking at little kids in North Face jackets with frozen snot. And we were like, what, what are we doing here? Neither of us have family in <laughs> Chicago. We just met here. Like, let's let's get out of here. She wanted to go to Miami. I wanted to be close to Silicon Valley. So we settled on LA, uh, came out here beginning of 2013. By that summer, I was feeling pretty good. I'd been up to the Valley a bunch of times, met a bunch more people, uh, and I was ready to jump out. So I left Google that summer of 13. So for the last nine years, I've been full-time in startups, uh, cutting angel checks, helping out with funds, uh, advising venture back startup CEOs. It was kind of like something I actually did almost full time for about four years. That's awesome. Just helping I with strategy that. and fundraising and kind of applying a bit of my fundraising experience and my consulting experience to help them get from like an A round to a B round or from like seed through C or something like that. But kind of always that first, you know, mostly been around for at least a year and you know maybe through about being four years old or something it, as a it's startup. a very very interesting skill set and anyone that's never done it doesn't understand that it is a skill yeah it was it was interesting i was always worried about the portfolio that i was building and i was wondering is there going to be adverse selection here because like you know is this a club that wants me a member and therefore that that club sucks. And what I found out, and especially after doing it for like a year or so, the founders that actually had an exit or two or were experienced, and they were actually much more willing to bring on somebody like me and give me a decent chunk of equity because they wanted to go much faster. And they also understood that doing something 10% better could be like a 3x or 5x delta in the outcome of the company because it's just so competitive and there's so much information out there and so many people willing to help and fund these different companies. So, um, and the other thing I did was after working with a couple of people that were more business oriented, I just stopped. And so I think 24 of the last 25 founders that I worked with were like product engineering types where my mm. skill set was definitely complementary. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I thought that was, it was a great formula, it built up a great portfolio. So across all, and there's some overlap from angel investing and advising, but across all of it, I'm in over 60 companies. I uh, just had my 16th exit uh, last week. So it's been a really Congrats. good run. And, and I could have kept doing that forever and just being kind of like an investment investor advisor. My wife loved it. My kids loved it. I completely controlled my schedule. I refused to be in a meeting unless the CEO was there. So that was kind of how I like limited what I would get involved in. And stupid Bitcoin came along and smacked me upside the head in 2017. And, uh, and now five years later, I work like 80 hour weeks because <laughs> I'm just obsessed with it. Um, it, it it's, anyway. it's a sickness. And I have, I have the same thing. I, I lived the same lifestyle. I, w I went from retail, which was a, you know, a family business, um, and transitioned into real estate, which is, you know, where everyone wants to be, um, you know, working, you know, like every deal takes weeks to months to get done. Um, so you have a very leisurely schedule and, and now I'm the same thing, 80 hour, 80 hour web three weeks. Um, and, and couldn't be happier. Yeah, it, it, it's fun. So I know you wanted to get into kind of like the origin story. So I'll make people realize yeah. like they're still super early because I felt late when I got in because I had already swung and missed twice. So uh, somebody gave me some Bitcoin, made me download a blockchain.com wallet in January of 2014 at a tech conference and gave me some Bitcoin on it. And I didn't read the white paper and I lost the keys, probably lost the phone. Anyway, I don't have that Bitcoin. Uh, in December, don't, don't, don't of, feel bad. Totally. It happens in December of 2015. Yeah. I went to a buddy's, uh, holiday party up in Santa Barbara, actually a YPO member. 
And, uh, and he was putting some of his angel and advisor stakes into a series LLC so he could sell off like some of the upside and asked me to, you know, help him with the marketing of it and put together a deck and stuff like that. And two of the eight companies in this thing were, uh, were Ripple and, uh, Bology's like toaster mining, appliance mining thing that became earn.com, probably my least favorite product of the last 10 years in Silicon Valley. But, um, you know, I, I, again, so like Bitcoin is on these slides, I'm researching it, but like, I can kind of forgive myself for not understanding Bitcoin by looking at the toaster mining and Ripple because um, they were obviously like not good, not yeah. good lenses to understand Bitcoin. So it wasn't until the uh, the big price run up and all the noise, really in my professional network, not really my friends group, but my professional network in VC, that uh, all the noise of the price run up and the ICOs and everything started to become like cacophonous. And in May of 2017 is when I finally got pulled in. Um, I initially, it was all crypto, 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 all this stuff going on. I was aware there was this Bitcoin thing. I did buy Bitcoin first. And thankfully, a crypto fund manager that I knew down here in LA insisted that I at least read Digital Gold. And he said, like, try to understand Bitcoin first. And then there's all this other stuff going on, which was great. So I did start buying Bitcoin uh, in May, June of 17. I've been buying ever since. Uh, but I was really, really confused by the altcoin marketing and the ICO stuff. And a lot of the people that I look to for signal when it comes to like market networks and yeah, SaaS companies because you're a real and investor. AI and everything else that I would be working on in startup land were all about what we would now call friction tokens, which is like introducing tokens into ecosystems and making people pay with it and thinking that there would be some kind of like value sink and, you know, get people to like use this token instead of dollars or Bitcoin or something like that. So I spent, you know, way too much time looking into this stuff and reading blockchain books and thinking that this was the future and all this kind of stuff. And that continued, you know, what we Bitcoiners call the shitcoin horseshoe, which is start with Bitcoin, explore shitcoins, and then, you know, understand that Bitcoin is really what matters. For me, it was about 11 months. <laughs> you, you've, um, given a, you've given a couple of great, great ones, uh, friction coins. And, uh, you know, that, that was a new one I haven't heard recently. Oh yeah. Well, at least you've heard it. That's good. Um, so yeah, so it wasn't until, you know, March, April of 18 that I understood even just from like a risk reward standpoint from my career and activities and efforts. Um, but then also from an economic standpoint, what I came to understand rationally of what I thought would happen with Bitcoin over time and its value. And so, you know, so two things, one, you know, coming from Silicon Valley and being so aware, and I was always taking, you know, SaaS companies and trying to turn them into market networks or platforms of some kind, or I would take transaction-based companies and try to turn them into subscription revenue and just always kind of like make it look more like it could kind of hockey stick and like you can control your own destiny a little more. And so when you look at Bitcoin and you look at a platform that actually is truly decentralized, that doesn't have, you know, a centrally mandated difficulty bomb every two months or whatever, like, and that's the best of the altcoins. Um, you're looking at something that, that can't be Facebook, just, you know, ripping the floor out from under Zynga, right. And just pulling the rug. Right. But all these altcoins, if you yep. want to build a business on top of one of them, unless you're actually creating the protocol yourself, building anything on any of these ecosystems, you're basically at the whim of the centralized team that controls the, the code and they can change it anytime they really want to. Um, so building something for or around or on Bitcoin was just like the ultimate, you know, de-risking of a platform for me. Um, truly outside of people's control. It's amazing, right? Like literally anything else that you build on top of could change uh, unless it's open source. So Linux, you can build whatever you want on top yep. of Linux. You can build things on top of the internet. You can build something on or for or around Bitcoin and nobody can mess with you. So I love that. And then as far as like upside of the asset, you know, there is no rational reason other than just sort of marketing for value to accrue to any of the altcoins over the long haul. You can't just buy and hold them. Any cohort of coins will just trend towards zero over time in Bitcoin terms. So from an investment standpoint or investment activity lens, I guess, you can trade altcoins, but you can't buy and hold them. And I am not a trader. And so 
the only thing that really makes sense if you're not going to be a full-time trader or you're not an insider that gets the token like super cheap. And even when internet computer is down 99%, you're still up 50x, which is where the Definity yep. people are today. It's like, yep. you know, it pumped, it dumped, they're still in the black, right? Yeah. Insider um, trading is great. So yeah, if you and didn't say insider trading, there's plenty of that too. It's a different thing. But you know, if you're not if you're not the one creating the the thing out of nothing and you're just, you know, picking it up on exchange or whatever, I mean there's twenty thousand altcoins historically. Only three have ever had a new all-time high in Bitcoin terms, three or more years later after a first all-time high. So Ripple hit uh, a higher high in seventeen versus where they were in thirteen. Uh, Doge hit a higher high because of the Elon pump in 21 versus where it had ever been before. And BNB is questionable because it didn't really have a full cycle and probably didn't go up as high as it maybe would have in 17, but it hit, yeah. it was higher in 21 versus 17. That's no other stat. altcoin has ever had a new all time high in Bitcoin terms, uh, three years after its first. Wow. That's, I mean, that's an amazing statistic and, and, and showcases again, why I'm not an active trader. Uh, I, I, you, everyone gets in, they want to play with it. And I think that, that little shit coin you that you talk about, we absolutely uh, love and enjoy it. It's part of the learning, learning cycle that everyone you know, kind of needs to go through. But uh, to your point, I always say by the time it hits Coinbase, it's, it's too late. <laughs> yeah, you definitely want to be, if you're going to be in the pump and dump game, you want to be part of the pump. Yeah. No, I, 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 my average in Solana is, you know, 11, 12 bucks. So even it being down at, you know, $30, $35 right now, it's like, I'm cool. I'm good. So, so pivoting over, uh, you know, so, and again, thank you for that backstory. Uh, so much, Corey. Let's talk about what you're doing today. So, yeah. you know, tons of, tons of history of getting in and why. And I, I really appreciate that because it, it showcases a lot of, you know, breadth of, of, of industry understanding. Um, you've never known, you know, you, you didn't really know what a good market is when you entered the financial world. And so, you know, some of the things that you were just ingrained to in, in immediately in your learning cycle, um, even during a, I'm sure even during a boom, uh, during a, during a bull, you're, you're probably still really thinking about layering off and taking profits quite often compared to most that just want to think the bull is going to go forever. Um, I don't think about profits in terms of U.S. dollars, so I actually don't sell Bitcoin. I only I, my number of Sats that I own goes up every day. Well, what I, and I think you've got an interesting app. So give us that uh, that elevator pitch <laughs> of, of Swan Bitcoin and, and why all of us are, are doing this wrong. <laughs> I, I didn't say that you're doing it wrong. I think you probably have a lot of people that are that are just doing you know the the automatic recurring purchase thing. Um, you know, I know a lot of YPO members are already on uh, recurring purchase plans with Swan. So hopefully, some of y'all are watching here in the audience. Um, so Swan.com, the Swan app finally coming out. Uh, you can actually play with a beta version at Swan.com/app, but the real thing will be out in August or September. But uh, we're a Bitcoin financial services company. And, you know, we, we started out with exactly the product that I personally wanted to see in the market, which is a laser focused Bitcoin company that does a ton of content and education for free and makes it super simple to set up an automatic recurring purchase plan. So Bitcoin is the best store of value that we humans have ever had. And the way I think about it, again, over the long term, this isn't something you should be trading. You should be thinking about five years, 10 years, 20 years seven generation thinking is kind of where I am trying to build a legacy and, and a dynasty for my kids and teaching them about the stuff. Um, you want to be thinking about it as like the third leg of the stool. You want to max out your retirement from your job, especially anything that your employer will match or, you know, and max out your IRAs, anything tax advantaged, maybe a little extra um, in retirement accounts. And then you want to, you know, your short real estate if you don't own some. So it makes sense. You know, you're always going to need a roof. I think it makes sense to have, you know, some land and, and, and that. And then I think you want Bitcoin. And, you know, you can obviously layer on all kinds of other things and, you know, have a VC allocation and all kinds of other things. But I think if you have some retirement, you got some land and, you, and you're contributing to Bitcoin. The nice thing about those three is they can all be uh, set and forget. So you can automatically have it taken out of your paycheck or your pay for a solo 401k or, or you know, your IRA or whatever. And then you got to make your mortgage payment or your land payment or whatever. So that's just coming out automatically. And you should do the same thing for Bitcoin. You should set it up so it's automatically coming out, you know, every week, every day, every month, something like that. And just buying Bitcoin at whatever price, set it, forget it. Swan and chill, we like to say. Uh, that. And that's the best way to just make sure your number of sats, Satoshis, the smallest unit of Bitcoin goes up over time. 
You know, and as a, you know, this is your first time on, on this show and you're, you're a new YPO, YWL member. Um, but we, I just recorded another session earlier and, um, you know, again, the guy has been in, in, in uh, cryptocurrency for a long time. And I said, you know, what, what's your biggest, you know, takeaway you have, or what's the biggest thought anyone that's entering the space should have space should have. And he goes, DCA, just DCA into Bitcoin, yep. whatever, no matter what you do, no matter what your thought is, just, just dollar cost average in as you, as you feel good about it, or you see some opportunities and, and go for there. And, and again, total happenstance. Here we are a few hours later. Um, and you have an app and a, and, and an entire system designed to do this. So, yeah. so real quick, because, you know, we, we onboard, you know, tons of people every single week, uh, that have no idea what they're doing. And, you know, they, they, some of them want to go into an exchange. They want to play with all these things. But if we go with the, the Bitcoin maximalist theory, of which I absolutely partially subscribe to, um, and, and say, you know, talk, does anybody need anything else? If they have your app, are you providing them a wallet? Or do they, you know, just walk me through the onboarding steps if you don't mind. Yeah, so sure. I, I should actually get into uh, the, the second business line that we have, which is Swan Private Client Services. So okay. swan.com is just basically us only you can do international but the funding's by wire transfer so it's not as attractive as as uh you know if you're dealing with high net worth individuals and companies around the world so we launched swan private about a year and a half ago it's actually our our primary well it's it's i shouldn't say primary but it's larger revenue than the uh than the retail site and app at this point um and that is amazing because you actually get paired with a managing director who comes from places like Goldman and Morgan and Merrill and Bridgewater. And you actually have like a consultant to help you onboard, think about timing, think about allocation, think about entry strategy, uh, set up your trust accounts, uh, do treasury for your company, uh, hook you up with a way to give Bitcoin as a benefit to your employees, which a lot of YPOers is doing now, the Bitcoin benefit plan. So there's yep. like, you know, give them a gem membership and some healthcare benefits and, you know, 50 bucks of Bitcoin a month, that kind of thing. It's really good kind of water cooler topic that's good for retention and, uh, and, uh, recruiting, which is pretty cool. Awesome. Um, so Swan Private, we decided about a month ago to make that complimentary for all YPO members. So usually it's like $3,000 a year or you got to buy $100,000 a year. Um, but we just do it uh, gratis for, for YPO people. So oh, that's, that's amazing. Literally all, all of these people that are watching your show, if you're in YPO, just email me personally, Corey at swan.com, C-O-R-Y at swan.com and just put uh, YPO in the subject line and I'll hook you up, get you introduced to one of the MDs and, and we'll get you set up. So You're going you're gonna to get an email from me very soon. Good. I hope so. So yeah, it's, we're, we're very low fee. It's uh, it's 0.99% on transactions. Um, and you know, all of this amazing, amazing advice and, you know, the private webinars and we do, you know, monthly Swan private insight is our kind of like, you know, I bank quality research report on Bitcoin by some of the brightest minds in Bitcoin. Um, we've got, you know, VIP access. We're actually doing a, a huge Bitcoin only. This will be the world's largest ever Bitcoin only conference will be this fall in Los Angeles. So November 10th and 11th at the Barker hangar at Santa Monica airport. So, oh, awesome. um, so Bitcoin only speakers, Bitcoin only sponsors, no altcoins, but all YPO members are welcome. And we are also going to do a, uh, a 50% discount on, uh, on the VIP tickets for, for YPO members. And we're actually creating a little YPO lounge inside the VIP, VIP tent. So there's going to be like a little YPO only area. And we're also doing a full day of programming for YPO on Wednesday, the day before the conference uh, with the tech network and me and Fred Teal and some other folks. Um, we'll have like an afternoon of exclusive YPO stuff on Wednesday, the 9th of November. And then all YPO members will be invited to the VIP welcome dinner that evening. So it. it should be really good. Really excited about it. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's important because, you know, these, these crypto conferences, you know, the, the speaker slots go to the highest bidder basically. And it's usually somebody that's trying to like extract some rents from people. So, you know, yep. you get Celsius on stage, you know, telling lies to everybody like they always do, or you get the Luna guy on stage, you know, telling lies to everybody. And, you know, it's, it's all the way down for the most part. Like they're mostly just massaging facts and, and misleading people with marketing because they're allowed to, because these things aren't regulated as securities. So they can get away with Correct. whatever they want to say. Um, so the, you know, the noise, the noise to signal ratio is extremely high at 
these other conferences. So I think it's going to be a really good place to, to learn and have fun. And, uh, you know, we, when you whittle it down to kind of Bitcoin only, you can wax poetic about a lot of other things. You can get into history, you can get into philosophy, you can talk about the future, you can talk about adjacent topics like macro and, and geopolitics, and then you can also just leave a lot of room for a lot of fun too. So I'm super bullish on uh, Pacific Bitcoin, uh, pacificbitcoin.la if you want to go check out the uh, No, I, I love that. And we'll make sure to get uh, get that in our YWales newsletter. And, okay. and, and absolutely, you need to come on Fireside probably in the next few weeks. Okay. Uh, and which is our, our private show and, and yeah. really talk about it there and get some good feedback. So with all this, and, and again, I, you, you clearly fit into the Bitcoin maximalist category and I, I love talking to, to people. I'm a like Bitcoiner. I, I, I have a hard rule of stopping people when they say that, um, just because okay. it was, it was intended as an epithet and it was a, it was coined by Vitalik Buterin, um, runner of okay. the, uh, the longest running Ponzi scheme in the crypto space. Um, so yeah, I, I just kind of reject is- it. It's fine if you want to say it, but I just no, no. I, listen, a the, the whole point is here is, is education. So, so yeah. please, you know, hearing this because that's that's a new piece of information to me, and I we absolutely have a channel on Bitcoin yeah. for Maximus. So we need to pull, we need to re- rename that. But, but you know, the, the couple of comments you make, and listen, I, I am the furthest thing from an ETH Maximus. In fact, I I, I think ETH two is a scam. Um, but but the ideas around you know what what we're seeing and where we're where we're going. I mean, Bitcoin as proof of work. You know what's been what's been put in place and where it's running. I, I think is you know minor changes needed as they fork these things. You know, minor, minor. But to me, proof of work is perfect. Bitcoin should never leave it. Um, you know, is is that your your thoughts? Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, proof of work is the only thing that ties uh, a digital network to the physical world without which it will by definition require governance which will by definition corrupt over time and centralize over time so what's really important is the second derivative when you think about centralization versus decentralization uh the second derivative of the second derivative of bitcoin is decentralizing over time because you've got the fixed block size and it's cheap to run these things and it gets cheaper and cheaper as technology advances it gets cheaper and cheaper and easier and easier to run nodes cheaper and cheaper and easier to run lightning nodes and kind of this explosion of creativity that comes out of the constraints of the proof of work system um by definition what ethereum is doing what any solana all these guys they're second derivative the vector in which they're going is is going to become more centralized over time it requires governance by definition you have to become it has to be political by definition so it's all basically just redoing and re-evolving everything we've done for the last 700 years in financial innovation and pretending that they're rediscovering things but they're not no, I, I, I listen. It's um, I, there's a lot of advantages, obviously, to something faster and wider um, that moves. You know, proof of stake, but but it's it's young. Yeah, it's, it's called it's AWS. A, yeah, but it's but true. It's all you just like the game theory is you're going to go for things that are faster and faster and faster and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, and it's eventually it's just a database software. Yeah, and 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 to be honest, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I I think there's a massive need to evolve past the you know the the ancient yeah. Oracle and you know um, you know these these database servers of you know uh, AS four hundreds and everything else that exist and have very little use and are very expensive to maintain. And you know, running something uh, on on not Ethereum, but you know Solana and others, I think provides a lot of value that companies can and should look at uh, in replacing these things. But it doesn't change, you know, what Bitcoin is and should yeah. be. It's not. I mean, it's I, not I challenge that though because it's dramatically oh, more expensive by like three orders of magnitude to run something on Solana versus on AWS or MySQL. So that's why they call it SQLana on Twitter, SQLana. I love that. We talk with you know Constellation Network and others that that run extremely lightweight at fractions of the cost of of Solana and others. So there's a, there it's my I think the point I would make is we're very early. In proof of stake, we're very mm-hmm. early in kind of the blockchain world, and so just like anything else, it used to cost, you know, tens of millions of dollars to to spin up a server back in the uh, you know mid mid to late nineties, um, and the cost has come down significantly. And so I, I think that the idea of proof of stake uh, from a from a governance standpoint absolutely can can do things, but it doesn't change that the Bitcoin has um, you know something that nobody else can replicate ever. You know, is a closed loop, closed doored system that that operates you know in an 
you can hate Bitcoin, you can like Bitcoin, you can b- not believe in Bitcoin, and Bitcoin doesn't care. Bitcoin's yeah. going to keep doing exactly what it was told to do, and, and that's that's the way it's going to operate. And even if you, like one country, two countries, 10 countries, ban proof of work, which we just saw uh, happen, I think, over in the EU, it's fine. It's just going to shift somewhere else. Yep, that's right. Yeah, you, you can't get everybody to cooperate at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and be contra Bitcoin. It will always leak out and happen somewhere. I mean, there's still plenty of hash rate coming out of China today because it's just like, it's very cheap to bribe a local official and, and put up your miners next to a dam still. And, you know, like it's it's impossible to shut this thing down. It Once once a year, once every other year, China, China will ban Bitcoin. So, I mean, it's just, it's a it's a tradition. I'm sure they'll turn it into an annual holiday at some point um, because it's, it's hard to even pay attention to it uh, yeah. nowadays. So, so uh, you know, Corey, as we as we kind of you know go through this, and and you've got a lot of, I mean, really, you, you've got a book coming up. Um, you, you're a speaker in many ways on, on these topics. What are kind of maybe I'll, I'll, let me push on kind of the top three misconceptions that people have about Bitcoin that you you spend you know an overly uh, large amount of time dealing with? Sure, um, I won't rank them, but we'll come up with three. I'd say one is expecting that and, and this is so funny because this is you know literally going back to the the last big battle which was uh you know the four quarters of 2017 2016 17 with bcash and uh you know it was it was basically uh, people have the misconception and this is actually rampant among ypoers that i've talked to that uh bitcoin needs to be a currency today and like a widely used currency and that's just not how it works it doesn't make sense to spend a money that you expect to appreciate in purchasing power over time. Uh, so the only people that are actually looking to spend Bitcoin are people that don't have anything else to spend. And so what you're looking at for medium of exchange, whether it's lightning payments or just wanting to spend Bitcoin in general, even if it's over you know, card networks or whatever, is you're looking at people that have been in Bitcoin with conviction for like eight to 10 years, where it's now 95 to 99% of their net worth. So this cohort that's spending Bitcoin today, the limited demand for, you know, using lightning or paying for things is, is pretty much those people that were really convicted about Bitcoin in like 2012 to 2014, maybe 2015. And so I think what will be really interesting is the cohort that came in and understood Bitcoin with conviction and was buying the way up on in 16, came in and, you know, bought the bubble in 17, but kept buying in 18, 19. Those people in call it like 25, 26, so 2025, 2026, a lot of those people are going to have 95, 99% of their money in Bitcoin. And that's where, and I think we first start to see, let me see which direction I'm going here. You first start to see the very little bit of inflection up an S curve for Bitcoin as a medium of exchange. We're actually barely up the S curve for Bitcoin as a store of value today. Like we've oh, literally yeah. just started up. It's super young. I don't think this is any sort of like stable or even like interesting to a layperson around the world as a store of value until it's at minimum 10 trillion market cap, which would be $500,000 a coin, but probably when it's like double gold. So I think at like a million dollars a coin, that's when you're sort of like hitting like 50% adoption. And I see that happening at something like 2030. So like okay, into the decade. Okay, so- Okay, let's oh, now. This is the question I've asked, and I, I asked this sure. directly to, to Michael Saylor, and, and you know, I said, I said, okay, a million dollar Bitcoin, and he's put this out. I said, how much of that is hyperinflation? How much of that is adoption? What are some? Of the I always key talk metrics? about it in terms of today's purchasing power. So I'm talking about twenty twenty two dollars. Okay, so so it's it's truly there. So what are and again, I will pause because you're going through your list, but like, what are some of the keys that are going to like key metrics that it would take? to get that because I didn't get an answer out of sailor. He went and did his sailor thing and talked about something else. Um, but you know, to get, to get to a million dollars, is that institutions? Uh, is that governments, you know, adopting this? Like what, what kind of level does it take? It's everyone. It's, it's more, it's more people. It's more of their okay. portfolio. So going deeper into the wallet, um, you know, it's obviously, I think more governments will have it in their reserves. I think lots more companies will have it in their reserves and in their treasury. I mean, we have 2000 companies, uh, that have Bitcoin in their treasury through Swan. Obviously, it's mostly small and medium-sized businesses, but like it's pretty awesome that that's out there. Um, and I think that will continue to grow. Um, this is why education is really so important because you you buy what you know, and you know basically 
if you understand something, you're much more like the more, you know, the more you buy, it's probably the easiest way to say it. But, um, Mm-hmm. having an incredibly education focused company like we do, I'll tell you when I modeled this to raise like a, you know, I think it was like a seed round in January of 2020 before we launched, we launched March of 2020. Uh, I was modeling out like, you know, something like 150 bucks a month. I thought would be the average, like the mean purchase of Bitcoin on our platform. And, you know, a year later I looked at it and it was around like 2,300 bucks a month. The people, the wow. average, the mean person was buying uh, through Swan, and even though we don't have a sell button, so we're a one-way accumulation, we make it hard as hell to sell through <laughs> us. You have to like call us or email us or fill out a form to be able to sell. That's very deliberate. It just like weeds out the people that are going to get you know have weak hands and get scared. Um, only one asset, only buys, and and low trading fees, right? Like much lower than a bunch of these platforms out there. And, you know, our average re- revenue per customer is more than four times Coinbase. Because wow. people who wow. know Bitcoin and understand Bitcoin, you're not talking about them, you know, gambling with one or 2% of their portfolio in crypto. By definition, if you're messing around with crypto, like you don't have conviction on Bitcoin yet, like generally. Like most people don't. There's there are exceptions, but for the most part, people that get like really deep conviction on Bitcoin, and I think we attract those kinds of people, and we now do it very deliberately now that we've kind of found the formula. Um, they just go way way deeper, and they're going like ten percent, twenty percent, fifty percent Bitcoin, something like that. So I think wow. that's really interesting, and I think you'll so I think you'll see you know an expansion in the number of people and companies that hold a lot of Bitcoin or hold Bitcoin at all. And then you'll also see going way, way deeper in share of wallet among people as they, as they start to understand it, as they start to trust it, as it becomes more stable with the volatility being less, which will happen as a result of being a larger number. So it'll be less volatile at 500,000 than it is at a hundred thousand. It'll be less volatile at 2 million than it was at 500,000. So yeah, and and that's a great point, and I, I say that all the time. Is we're so early and we're so young. I mean, we went, we we ramped all the way up to a three trillion dollar market cap. Um, you know, and and we were about you know what less than half of that before the the Terra Luna debacle hit, and that's caused a lot of liquidations. And and you know, I don't think that the price of Bitcoin is properly reflected to, reflected today because of these massive liquidations that never would have happened um, had these <laughs> had these uh, mass these huge portfolios not been liquidated due to over leverage. I agree with you. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it was possible that the floor would have been around 30, but it still would have like yeah. wicked down to 26 or 27 anyway at some point. And so the fact that we yep. wicked down to like 17 and now we're back at 21 or whatever, like it, it, it really doesn't matter in the long run, really, especially if like a buy and hold mentality. So. Yeah, I, I, I've been hitting the buy button a little bit more often here as, yeah. it, as it dips under 20. So I don't, I don't think it's going to go too much further than there, but yeah, I, it doesn't mean I don't have some limit orders. So I think a lot of people think that when people talk about Bitcoin being an inflation hedge, there's a couple things going on there. One is the definition of inflation, which traditionally is actually about inflation of the money supply, not about how much bread and gas cost. Um, so that mm-hmm. was kind of a deliberate uh, you know, shift by uh, by economists and, and government types over the last hundred years to get away from pointing at the money inflation of the money supply, which is how it has been sort of discussed over the last two thousand years. So, first, it is obviously a hedge against more money printing. Uh, there's only twenty one million bitcoins. If you understand what this is over the long run, that's a great inflation hedge. Um, the other thing is any zoomed in time frame, if you're looking at it like very narrowly, especially now that Bitcoin is in the portfolios of lots of people that have huge positions in other assets, by definition, when they go risk off, they're going to be selling some of everything. And Bitcoin is such a small asset compared to some of these other things. So you have that dynamic automatically that Bitcoin would sell off and is considered still even more risk on than, than you know, maybe even tech stocks. And so they're going to cut that first. The other weird dynamic you have is over the last 20 years or so, starting in the early, the early aughts, so many of these money management shops went to having uh, like dozens and dozens, maybe even hundreds of portfolio managers. And that's how they kind of train them up and weed them out. And it's how they groom their you know, amazing managers. It's how you start with 16 and every year 
you know, half of them wash out, but half of them make it. And eventually after four or five years, you have one guy that's had a string of five years and you market that guy, right? Just kind of like the law of, (laughs) law of percentages. Um, but basically what happens is the, the, the smaller guys that have, you know, 10 or 20 million or 50 million or whatever, they're the ones that are buying Bitcoin. The older guys with the bigger portfolios aren't buying Bitcoin. When the firm tightens their risk management across the board, they don't make the big guys sell. The, the small guys that have Bitcoin in their portfolio become forced sellers because they have to reduce the, the risk and the size of their portfolio. So there's that dynamic that's going on now that Bitcoin is a macro asset and the institutions have come. This is actually happening now. No, I mean, and it's, again, it's such a really interesting point in time that we're at because there's never been more money printed. Um, you know, Bitcoin is, was designed for this, you know, X number of years ago and, you know, but adoption's not there yet. We're still so early in this entire cycle. You know, the idea around, you know, digital currency, um, you know, is, is going to be a mainstay, main stage around the world. I mean, there's not a single government that's not looking at a, a central uh, digital banking currency. And so the ideas of, of where Bitcoin fits into this um, is, is it's the one household name that everyone knows. Um, yep. It's the one that I, I, I believe has the, the ability to be the longest and best use case um, over the next decades and, and millennia. You know, where but, do you think Bitcoin, but, the, the brand Bitcoin... Do you think it's a top 10 brand? Like if they measured, you know, Coca-Cola and Google and like the brand equity of these companies and they measured the Bitcoin brand equity, it's got to be top 10 now. It would be, oh, I think it absolutely, it's definitely people know it. What, what their feelings yeah. about it, I think, are two different things. And, and the reason is, is because there's been so many scams around it. There's been so much FUD based on it. And so, you know, when I talk to people about Bitcoin, they're like, oh, it's, that's, that's, it's, that's a bad for the climate. Um, or, you know, the, you know, Bitcoin, yeah, I, I, I bought that, um, you know, and I, the day after I bought it, it, it went down 10%. So I sold it and I walked away, those kind of things. And so, you know, the, the other side of it, and, and it's, I don't want to dive into it too much today, but I'd love your opinions in, in the future, is I really feel like there's an issue with the oracles. And I, I say it publicly quite often, and it's not against anyone that runs the oracles, but when you have Bitcoin, and then you have wrapped Bitcoin, and then you have like triple wrapped Bitcoin, and then other derivatives around Bitcoin, it, it's, it starts to say like, how many really are there? And, you know, I know there's a number of people that are saying, oh, it's all accounted for, and it's all, it's all correct. Um, but, but, but is it? And so I think that, you know, part of my concern has always been is that, you know, Bitcoin is truly, it should be a pure asset. I mean, it's, you know, a holding raw Bitcoin is, is still your best long-term store of value, not your keys, not your crypto type of thing. Um, and so, you know, true to, true to any good, you know, kind of technologist is like understanding what happens when you start going layers and layers deep, even though theoretically at the end of that chain, you can come all the way back to raw Bitcoin. Um, but, but, you know, is it? Yeah, no, it really is. It's it is true. It's not your keys, not your coins. That's why we make it as easy as possible to withdraw from Swan straight into cold storage. We educate people constantly on how to do that. We make recommendations on wallets, introductions, and warm handoffs to multi-sig companies. We work closely with like Casa and Unchained Inspector and Cold Card and all these guys. Um, we invented the first way to basically load your XPUB into a uh, trustless bit of code that extracts a hundred ad- or a thousand addresses that we can use. So you don't have address reuse, but your XPUB is never exposed to the exchange. Cause when you give your XPUB to an exchange, they actually know all your addresses, they can derive yep. them. Um, so we do things like that, that are like really good for privacy and, and for, uh, you know, just security of your, of your coins all the time. We also let you just custody it with us for free if you're not ready, we'll, we'll prompt you with a newsletter that tells you more about self-custody over time. But, you know, the truth is uh, about half of our customers uh, leave it with us, which actually means it's with Prime Trust, which is a Nevada trust company. And yeah. the actual back end is Fireblocks like it is for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. So we're, $8 billion dollar company. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you're on, you're on a, the Prime Trust Fireblocks custody stack if you leave it with Swan. Um, but we encourage you to withdraw it and to learn that side of Bitcoin. That is the way to go. If you have any of these other things, wrapped Bitcoin, whatever, you have an IOU. If you have it in GBTC, you have an IOU. Like in if you have it on Celsius or Voyager or any of these things, like you have an IOU, <laughs> even worse than an IOU. <laughs> no, you're you actually, actually have nothing. Like they actually, you have nothing. Well, I mean, you really legally had nothing anyway. You were an unsecured creditor to any of these CFI lending platforms. So Anyway, we can talk a little bit about that because I will tell you that was the one business that I didn't 
see exploding the way that it did uh, over the last couple of years. I thought I was going to be competing with the crypto exchanges like Coinbase and Kraken and Binance and stuff. And we ended up competing and going head to head with, you know, the false yield promises of these misleading, false, essentially illegal securities marketing VC darlings, basically, which exploded in value and sponsoring things all over the place. And like, you know, it's it's been a pretty amazing shit show to watch unravel. Yeah, I, you know, it, I, I think we can absolutely. Uh, I, I'll pull you into a, a, the confidential fireside for those ones. I think that would be the the appropriate place to have that have that uh, convo. And we'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, you can also you know, Corey, just Google me. I talk about it every day on a million other shows. Oh, good, 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 good. That's that's fabulous. <laughs> and in, I, you know, did a did a Barron's feature in the magazine last week. Came out on July fourth. That was pretty funny, and it was me saying how embarrassed I am to be associated with crypto. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it, it is um, clearly there's a lot of problems in, our, in this industry, and I don't ever say regulation fixes things, but I think at this point we need either to, to self govern ourselves, um, or we need some real education for the regulators so they can put in some proper regulation to prevent some of these things that are just so obviously shouldn't be happening. Yeah, I mean, they they were all functioning as banks, and so and you know, basically, these things all pass the Howey test in our securities. So, like, the people should be, and we'll see what happens in bankruptcy. Now, you actually have like real judges, and the first mm-hmm. thing the judge said was, you know, this looks like securities. And what's interesting now is all these unsecured creditors, users of Celsius and Voyager. It's actually in their interest to argue that they were uh, holding securities at Voyager and Celsius. That's their best argument for being first in the liquidation stack. Because these Chapter 11 bankruptcies are actually illegal if those are considered uh, broker-dealers. Yeah, if they're considered broker-dealers and they were selling securities, then the depositors are first, and they're first in the liquidation stack, and they get all all the money that's available. So if Celsius had $15 billion left or 13 left and had a $2 billion hole, 11 billion would go and they'd get 80, 85 cents on the dollar instead of what they're trying to do with chapter 11, which is wash those people out and make sure that the investors get their money back and their creditors get their money back, et cetera. So what's coming out of these, uh, you know, the two sides of these wrecked businesses mouths right now is uh, extremely duplicitous. You know, and, and, and it's terrifying that, that this is, you know, continually to happen. I mean, we watched that Netflix did one of the funniest shows ever on that, uh, that Canadian exchange that melted down and, and cause the guy died with the keys and no one else somehow had access or whatever in the world that was. But, but the idea that, you know, this is continually happening even, even years later. Um, and I'm really, you know, again, I'm, I'm thrilled to, to hear you're in YPO. I'm thrilled to hear that you're, you're like being clear and transparent about the business model that you guys have and why, um, um, and that you're you're not in you know a massively unleveraged uh, yet another unleveraged uh, you know kind of uh, exchange that, that's that's peaking out here. So it's it's very cool, Corey, to meet you. And and I know you've got a, a bunch of work today, so I don't want to hold uh, any more of your time on this. Any kind of uh, parting thoughts for YPO uh, members, YWL members, um, before you go? Yeah, again, just in case you missed it earlier. Um, complimentary membership in Swan private client services for YPO members. Literally just email me, Corey at swan.com, C-O-R-Y at swan.com, put YPO in the subject so I see it. Um, And then I have a great daily newsletter that we put a lot of time into that has just one great piece of Bitcoin educational content from the history of Bitcoin every morning. It's uh, corey.substack.com, C-O-R-Y.substack.com. Um, I highly recommend if you're interested in Bitcoin, just in general, like just plugging into our ecosystem. Um, we are new, so some people may not come across us, especially since we're not in crypto. But you know, we email more people every month than Bitcoin Magazine plus Pompliano. You know, we're already emailing like 350, 400,000 people a month um, wow. through our different newsletters and things like that. Um, we have. Hard Money, which is our new national news quality weekly news show with Natalie Brunel, who speaks to a lot of YPO chapters about Bitcoin. She gets flown around and passed around by all you guys, which is awesome. Um, so she's the host of it. She's an Emmy award-winning reporter and former anchor on network news that uh, is super into Bitcoin. So she hosts that. We've got a whole studio in Malibu and like a full crew. Like we spent a lot of money on this show and it, it airs on Thursdays right now. We're moving it to Wednesdays soon, but check out Hard Money on YouTube. And yeah, just feel free to reach out. Anything you want to know about Bitcoin, I've got a resource. 
my favorite book on Bitcoin. If you've never, if you've never really dug in and you believe things like some of the people I've talked to in YPO, like you can't have a money that doesn't have an inflating supply. If you still believe things like that, like start reading a little bit more about Bitcoin. Don't just jump straight into DeFi, like at least understand what this whole thing is about and that everything that's not Bitcoin is essentially trying to sidle up to Bitcoin and like grab some shine. So at least understand what Bitcoin is before you get into the rest. So my favorite book on Bitcoin is uh, Inventing Bitcoin by Jan Pritzker. I think it's amazing. It's like a two and a half hour read. It's such a good introduction, 100 pages. He's brilliant as as an explainer and as an educator. I was so taken with that book that I hunted him down, made him an advisor to the company, and eventually he came on as CTO and co-founder. Um, so you can grab that for free at swan.com slash free book in uh, ebook or audio book. Um, it's the most read book on Bitcoin, but because we give it away for free, uh, it doesn't show up in the sales stats. <laughs> you know what? But that, but that's amazing, Corey. And I, I just want to again really give you a kudos. Um, not that you came here looking for it, but you're you're an amazing ambassador uh, for for cryptocurrencies overall. Even though you focus on Bitcoin, um, you're giving a lot of really good, uh, valid theses uh, of which are backed by by solid data of which you're, you guys are tracking. Um, and as far as a, a fund manager and kind of an overall uh, Web three entrepreneur, man, I, I love love having you in our ecosystem and wheelhouse. Yeah. And can't thank you enough for your time stopping by today. Jay, can I fit in one more? You can do it. It's your okay. time, man. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. No, I was just going to say, I mean, a lot of people like me, even though I, I love Bitcoin and I probably should be putting all my excess cash into Bitcoin, I can't stop cutting checks for startups just because it's so fun. I love meeting entrepreneurs and so I still do it. Um, the Bitcoiner Ventures Syndicate is the largest Bitcoin only um, syndicate on AngelList. And we do it for no fees, no carry. So you're literally like, I'm just me and my three partners that are evaluating deals and putting them forward. We only invest as part of the syndicate on the same terms as the syndicate. So you can go to bitcoinerventures.com and join that. We've got 650 LPs or something like that. We usually do rounds of like four or 500K into Bitcoin startups. So if you're interested, hook that up. Um, and then I also recently started a committed capital fund called El Zonte Capital, like El Zonte down in, uh, in El Salvador. So this is uh, me and uh, and... This is someone who uh, some people love and some people hate, but Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert uh, certainly have big megaphones, and so they're great to partner with. And this is a crowdfunding fund, so I can talk about it in front of anybody that I want to. But uh, yeah, you can go to elzontecapital.com and uh, and be an LP in that fund. Our first fund is just 10 mil. But uh, yeah, we've, we've started investing in, in Bitcoin startups, did three deals so far in the first three months or so. That's amazing. Okay, now I'm done. No, no. They, listen, <laughs> we, we can hang out here all day. This is this is this is fabulous, man. So, uh, okay. why whales? Again, there's a plethora of, of information. The most important thing is to go to swan.com. Really take a look at a lot of this. I think uh, again, Corey's any anywhere and everywhere online. If you Google his name, you'll you'll see that he is very vocal, as he said. Uh, lots of podcasts, lots of articles, uh, upcoming book coming out, um, and and most important thing, if you walk away with this, nothing else. DCAN. That's it. Um, there is no there is no exit button. No sell. <laughs> there is no sell button. <laughs> Thank you, Corey, for swinging by. Uh, Why Whales. We'll catch you next time. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner, with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. Why Whales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.